Welcome to the Brat Pack. This is Dave Brat, Dean, School of Business at Liberty University and Senior Fellow with the Falkirk Center. This is the place for conversations with friends about ideas that will change your world. Welcome everybody to Liberty University, the Falkirk Center, and today on the Brat Pack, uh, I'm very happy to introduce a, a good friend, a great author, uh, someone near and dear to the ideas of the Falkirk Center. And uh, he has written a book called Washington, George Washington Entrepreneur. And so couldn't be a, a better fit. I'm the dean of the business school. We have a great entrepreneurship program. And so uh, John Burlaw, welcome to the Falkirk Center uh, today and the Brat Pack in particular. Just honored to have you uh, share uh, some of your book and your wisdom with us today. Well, it's so thank you, Dave. It's such an honor to be on to talk about my new book, George Washington Entrepreneur. Available, if I may say, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite book venues and bookstores, everywhere where books are sold. Hey, there's entrepreneurship. That's what we're doing here today. Well, yes, good. yes. Well, let's dig uh, right in uh, to the book itself. Uh, we, there, there's a ton to cover in a short period of time, uh, but say a little about just the title itself, George Washington Entrepreneur. What are the basics of, of the book, and what do, what do you want uh, students and readers to know? I want them to know how great Washington was and there are discovered just new ways he was great, you know, from building his businesses to helping American inventors, yet also how relatable he was as a person. Yeah. And I think uh, because we revere Washington, most Americans do at least, but it doesn't seem like sometimes we can relate to him like Franklin and Jefferson who just seem more modern. but. I found there's there is a ton of writing, a lot of writing about his businesses that where we where Washington, where you could read Washington in his own hand. In fact, there's so much correspondence he had; they haven't put it all online yet. So, huh. so this, so so this is a, a way to relate to him, also to under because there are several budding entrepreneurs that you can you know who share some of his you know triumphs and frustrations with business, yeah. like when he couldn't grow tobacco or was harming the soil. So we had to switch crops, the changes you have to make in business, yet also to show that this country is rooted in entrepreneurship, yeah. starting with our first president. Yeah, well, that's, that's I'm going to get into that in a minute uh, with my business hat on. But first, I, I'm just uh, curious, whenever I've read about Washington, especially in, in uh, when you look at the paintings, uh, and then as a war leader, it, he, he comes off as being very regal. But the, in, in my reading about him, which has been, you know, across the board in, in some ways, he, his men all seemed to love him and everybody respected him. And the nation at that point in time, the, he, there was just something particular about him as a person. Can you, what is that? Well, there's something interesting about, about his, his, his paintings. Um, where, you know, where he had to sit for hours yeah. and, and but would always, he recognized the important when we didn't have, we certainly didn't have Zoom, we didn't have TV, yeah. that paintings were the only visual medium, yeah. but his teeth bothered him for life. And so huh. he was actually, his expression from the, like the uh, like some of the paintings may have been just like his, the, the pain from his tooth, huh. but he he could be friendly and, and yeah. smile and, and just was, uh, was a was a friend was a friend to everyone. He yeah. went to when he was president. He went to the Toro Synagogue, a Jewish synagogue in Rhode Island, and said, "We give yeah. the bigotry no sanctions." He yeah. had 
friends who were Irish Catholic, you know, the religious and ethnic minorities of the day. Yep. So he, you know, he was friendly with people from all walks of life, was yep. very studious about writing, writing letters back to people. He would correspond with mm. people that when he didn't know something, so yeah. he would listen. In fact, it was his innovation to set up the president's cabinet. That's not spelled out in the constitution, but he had them, the Jefferson and Hamilton get together with meetings and, and discuss things. So huh. he would listen to people, offer a helping hand, and then was very well, was very, even though he didn't have a formal education, huh. was very well read. Right. And people respected that. I'm going to get to that in a minute. And I forgot to go over one. Give us a one minute on your own uh, intellectual biography. What What did you study uh, in college? And then how'd you end up writing on George Washington Entrepreneur? Well, I'm from the Midwest. And I went to the right. journalism school at the University of Missouri. Right. Studied, double majored in journalism and economics. Yep. And then worked for, well, you know, Washington Times, Insight Magazine, Investors Business Daily freelance for things like Reader's Digest, and now I'm a senior fellow in Economic Policy at Competitive Enterprise Institute, where I still write for places like Forbes and National Review. And I discovered when they were, when Mount Vernon was talking about Washington's businesses, like the whiskey distillery, like the flour mill, I just had no idea that Washington could be this, uh, you know, creative in the sense that Jefferson and Franklin were. And I wrote columns on Washington's birthday for it. And then eventually this became this this book that St. Martin Press is publishing. That's great. Hey, yeah. Uh, well, give us give us a short uh, snapshot of uh, Washington's intellectual life. What did he read? Uh, what might surprise us on the business side, political philosophy, et cetera? Well, Washington was an inveterate reader. That was really surprising. Was surprising to to me. Yep. Is you can see that from his shipping orders when he ordered books from. Great Britain, you know, when in, in the in the in the when he, you know, when in the in the colonial days when Virginia was a colony and yeah. and uh, the library he had some of which was given to the Library of Congress, but he would read everything. He read Adam Smith, yeah, the great. book, The Wealth of Nations, that developed the theory of capitalism. Yep. And there's and and it's actually his copy of the book is preserved and it shows him actually underlining passages <laughs> for that. That's so great. Economic political philosophy of the day. Yep. But he would also read a lot of books, what would be called today self-improvement books, uh, with a moral basis. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, books about books about things like uh, like uh, rules of civility, how yeah. you treat others in public. I mean, that's sort of where he learned, you know, a ma- formal manners as well as how, yeah. how to treat how to treat people well, as well as family influence and things like how to be agriculture and how to be a good horseman. Jefferson and a lot of other people were impressed with Washington's horseman ability. And, uh, you know, and many have attributed that and his other abilities to natural ability and experience. Yeah. And he did have a lot of those, but he would read books, for instance. There are, yeah. you can Amazing. see his order invoice about how to be a good horseman, right. how to treat sick horses and how to make jumps. So he just read about everything. And it was deep and wide what he read. Yeah, that's, that's neat. Uh, political philosophy, give me the top three that he read. He read Locke yep. um, uh, and j- j- treatises. Uh, he read um, uh, um, the uh, uh, Adam Smith, as, yep. I, as I mentioned. Yep. And the top three, I mean, he would read a lot of, I would I also say he wrote a lot of religious books about Christian contemplation. Contemplation. Yes. I think Hale was yep. one of those. 
he yeah. got some of those from his from his mother. Right. But I would say also for the laying out the case for independence, Thomas Paine, and he basically made yeah. Thomas Paine an embedded reporter, gave him access during the war, huh. and had Paine in his house as his house guest. So he would not just read; if he liked the author, he would communicate like the same yeah. way with British agriculturist Arthur Young. That's neat. Uh, the in higher ed these days, it's trendy, and I, in my view, misleading to cast all of our uh, founders as uh, simple deists at best. Uh, where, does, where does Washington fall on the theism scale? It, it is a uh, Christian uh, churchman, et cetera? Well, I'm not, he was certainly, he was, he was a member of, uh, of, of his uh, uh, Angl Anglican church, of yep. two Anglican, Anglican church, as far as, as, far as uh, uh, I think Christ Church in Alexandria, and I yep. forget there's, there's one in, uh, in, in, Fair, in, Fair, in Fairfax County, the name, the name, name escapes me. It's still it's still it's still standing uh, though, and he would read books about Christian content, contemplation. Yep. Uh, frequently would refer to providence, so he might be since he sometimes wasn't that in, introspective about things like that. Hard to pin down, but I think that he had you know. He, and he talked, of course, in his in his uh, farewell address about the importance of religion to right. morality. Right. But it's important to note also he was a friend to all religions. Yeah. He wrote yeah. you know, letters to. Uh, you know, Baptist congregations, Catholic congregations, um, uh, the Jewish synagogue I mentioned, and Catholics themselves were faced a lot of discrimination in, in Virginia. They couldn't pray publicly, but Washington was friends with prominent Catholics like John Fitzgerald, who, yep. who benefited from that. And actually, there's good evidence. I just wrote about a National Review that Washington may have given a contribution to the first Catholic church in Virginia. Hmm, that's interesting. What? Uh... Let's pivot to the entrepreneurship side now, since that's the, the thesis statement of the book. Uh, how, do, how do you view uh, Washington's entrepreneur? Did he face barriers from the British? Was there anything uniquely uh, American or pre-American in his new ideas uh, with business and how we should set up business uh, in the new uh, free land uh, that, that ties in with his own view of entrepreneurship? So maybe first of all, historically, and then practically, what did he do personally in that area? He was an innovator who could adapt when uh, he uh, when the when the, he found that tobacco really wasn't suited to the soil at Mount Vernon. When he, when he felt it was depleting the soil, he grew he grew wheat and uh, and and other and other crops and uh, and just because there was a more domestic because he could sell it internally that to the colonies, there was a more domestic market for it. And uh, didn't have, and again, it was better for the soil. Then he would build, you know, from the wheat, he was a master of integrating businesses, hmm. you know, putting them together, vertical, yeah. vertical integration wasn't a term, but he invented them. And he huh. used the wheat, he built a yep. flour mill, a grist mill, made, made flour, used a water wheel to make flour from them. Yep. And actually through a law he had, he was a member of the British of the House of Burgesses in, in the colony of Virginia. Yep. And it had a law where you could sort of trademark your flower, register before there were things like trademark. Huh. And he put his G. Washington brand on that and sort of had gave it a reputation for quality and exported it all through the colonies to the West Indies uh, and to Great Britain itself with the G. Washington. And it got a reputation. In fact, that may have been one of the reasons that people knew him, you know, when he went to the Continental Congress, huh, Adams, really? huh. John Adams, when nominating him to be, you know, to be general of the, of the, yep. of the Continental Army, mentioned specifically Washington's independent fortune. But he also faced British regu British regulations and people, yeah. the mercantilist regulations at Britain was were almost 
as much of a reason as the taxes I was able, I was able to find uh, wow. to find out that like they had things like the Iron Act where you couldn't even they discur they highly restricted the making of uh, of, of hammer of well of nails uh, of horseshoes because it was like inter- it was competition for the for the British uh, factories and they yeah. wanted to order from the British so they really wanted America just to be a breadbasket and not and even small scale manufacturing they asserted the right to confiscate huh. and in Washington's letter to George Mason where he first contemplated resolution in seven revolution excuse me in 1769 he said if they levy these taxes could they also confiscate my my manu- my manufacturing and he specifically yeah. said mine so thinking about himself as an entrepreneur yeah right no, that's fantastic. Who uh, who did he uh, link up with in this entrepreneurial uh, piece of his life? Did he are any of the other founders aligned with him uh, in this entrepreneurial area? I would think so. Just in Virginia, well, George Mason is who yeah. he wrote that letter to, and then yeah. he and George Mason wrote the Fairfax Resolve about some of some of the British burdens of both of mercantilism and the taxes. The taxes, I think, as historian Woody Holton explained, were sort of the straw that broke the camel's back about how America couldn't c- control its own trade trade routes, couldn't domestically manufacture, could only buy from and sell to Britain. And that, you know, after the taxes on the Stamp Act, the taxes on top of that became a burden. But with Mason, he co-wrote and had Virginia sign the Fairfax Resolves which mentioned these grievances and were a precursor to the Declaration of Independence and also urged, um, and Washington publicly, you know, was, 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 was on this and, and since I had co-signed this, Britain to stop the, sla- the slave trade, calling yeah. it cruel and inhumane. So yeah. he was on record as, you know, as uh, being, uh, you know, strongly condemning the, at least the slave trade as early as 1774. And Good. then, of course, he would he you know, recognized the consistency of his words and was the only founding father who held slaves to free all of his slaves upon, upon his death. Yeah, that's great. I was going to ask you. So now, these days, uh, you know, I ran on some of these issues in Congress and now you got Trump uh, running against the swamp and against crony capitalism and, uh, you know, working for the forgotten man and woman uh, the you know, the breadbasket across the between the coastal elites. And so Washington and uh, the, most of the founders can be considered elites. And so what is their view of the, of the common man across the country when it comes to business and entrepreneurship? Did they have an even-handed mindset and philosophy back then, or were they elites that uh, would show favoritism, favoritism toward other elites? I would think I, I can't speak for all of them, and you know there were some differences yeah. between Jefferson and Hamilton. Yep. But I think all of them wanted them to have to have opportunity. And and where Washington where Washington uh, where his greatness comes from is yeah. that he gave up power to go back and basically be an entrepreneur right. after the war and then after his presidency. Right. So that's yes. a, that's a pretty good data point. Right. Not yes. not everyone does that today. Right, right. But he wanted to he wanted to go home and he made one of the things he made Mount Vernon basically his kingdom. But he actually he was fond of I think this is I'm not that I think this is Micah. Well, uh, uh, Micah four, four. There may be other references to it says everyone should be able to free sit under their own his own vine and fig tree. Yeah. Yeah. And So that was his thing. And he wanted everyone to have kind of a vine and fig tree, their own land and not, you know, 
that not people, you know, the government shouldn't guarantee equality, but people had equal moral worth and should be able to uh, to make uh, to be able to, you know, use the cap, use the emerging capitalist system to make their own way and the government should get out of the way. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, is, is there anything specific that comes up uh, in his beliefs on the federal government or the the Commonwealth, Virginia uh, back then or local government? Any particulars that come to mind? on uh, the relationship between the state and government and, and uh, business? I think the farewell address, um, which is actually mostly quoted for foreign policy, he talks about that. He gives an early warning about um, uh, the, the, administ- the administrative state, yeah. about the presidency usurping power of Congress and yep. vice versa, and that we shouldn't stray from the competition. It was amazing. I felt like I was, I was almost <laughs> reading a modern document, and I quote that in there as well as if you look at the Fairfax resolves and the struggle he actually had with British, you know, over over regulation. Right. The British trying to worrying about in that letter to George Mason, the British, you know, can they confiscate my uh, I'm not sure if I have the exact word that's quoted in my book. And can they uh, can they seize my manufacturing? Yeah, I know he said the word my manufacturing. And what uh, what is the legacy of George Washington when it comes to the American spirit? Would you trace anything back to him or is it to the founding period uh, but the, you know he, he showed considerable leadership in in personality in character in intellect these folks were way more widely read than is often thought and uh, so what what's the legacy that comes out of you know his own leadership uh, as an entrepreneur toward business uh, is, is there a strain of thought that comes out of him and other founders I'd say um, both holding firm moral principles and adaptability and a belief in American innovation. I mean, one of the things in my, in my book, Washington Championed Inventors, there was this guy who was tinkering with riverboats and James Rumsey in what is now West Virginia, and people dismissed him as a crackpot, but Washington gave his mechanical boat a letter of endorsement, and Rumsey turned out later on to be one of the co-inventors of the steamboat. Which and Washington actually gave him and another inventor the patent, which Robert Fulton would successfully commercialize 20 years later. Huh. So Professor Deirdre McCloskey of University of yeah. Illinois Chicago yeah. has said that you know of the 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 admiration of inventors, which made the age of invention possible, where they had to get the public support, yeah. and you know would have Edison like say a century a century later came from America and the founding fathers. You know certainly people like Ben Franklin, but also. Washington yeah. talked about in his in his first address to Congress the need the need for inventors and innovators and he welcomed them. Is there is there a contrast uh, there on innovation and creativity with Europe that uh, you have in mind or uh, was it equally uh, continental or was there something distinctly American that was going on? There was something distinctly American. It had to do with you know no one you know had said you know going from the divine right of kings to the divine right of men, uh-huh. but it spread, it spread to Europe from America yeah, huh. from, with America's patent system and, and, yep. and, uh, and other things that America, America took the lead. That's professor, professor McCloskey was in Washington was a big part of that from encouraging inventors like James Rumsey and the French balloonists and saying, well, maybe one day, one day, you know, we'll travel by flying through <laughs> that, the air. That's right. That, that phrase, Flying through the air, Washington said actually said that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, John, I want to thank you for being uh, with us today at the Falkirk Center and the Brat Pack, and uh, and more importantly for putting this book together. You've got some quite some acclaim on the back of the book from some 
high, uh, high intellectual uh, leaders that love what you've done. And so in closing, uh, why should young people read this book? What is it, uh, what is it that this generation might be missing that George Washington has to offer, and in particular, your book? It can help. The, it's to, under, to understand everything from, from business to, uh, to, fa- to family with his relationship with, 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 Mar- with Martha and, yep. and, and, her, and her children who became his children, yep. and, this, and this country, what this, that this country was rooted in, in entrepreneurship and, and the, the moral basis for entrepreneurship. Great. So I hope everyone reads George Washington Entrepreneur. It's, again, available on, uh, and, and wherever books are sold. That's great. And in in closing, closing, any last words you want to leave us with personally uh, at Liberty uh, or as you just speak out on George Washington? Well, I appreciate your show, uh, Dave, and what Liberty University is doing to study, to realize that we still have a lot to learn from the wisdom of the wisdom of the founders and for featuring me and other other authors, other scholars who and your and your as well as your own scholarship on on what the founders have said and why it's relevant to today. That's great. Well, John, thank you so much. Falkirk Center is founded on the lines of faith and freedom. And so I I highly recommend George Washington Entrepreneur uh, and as dean of the business school. I give it uh, two thumbs up. And John, thanks for being with us today. God bless you and all your future work. And uh, have have a great season. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, brother.